Hey everybody, welcome back to the Rooster Crows podcast. My name is Reverend Stephen Milton and today I am here with Reverend Roberta Howie, our Young Adults Minister, and this is our Halloween edition. And today what we're talking about is ghost stories, ghost stories specifically in churches. And Roberta has been collecting ghost stories from various United Churches around the country. And uh, I'm really intrigued because I've actually been to one of these churches and I've been to one of the colleges you're going to be talking about. So I want to hear the skinny on what's spiritual and spooky in these places. So how did you get interested in ghost stories anyway? So the fun thing for me is that I hate horror movies in general, like Saw, absolutely not. I thought The Mummy with Brendan Fraser as a kid was a horror movie, like that's my level of spookiness. But ghost stories have just always fascinated me. There's something about knowing that you're in a place that there's other entities, there's other spirits there, there's other beings there trying to either interact with you or just do their thing and you're in there as well just absolutely fascinating especially as we're dealing with churches and i think churches are one of the few places that as we as society may say yeah no the old navy down the road that's not haunted i don't know what you're talking about but churches even if you're not someone that is religious even if you're not someone that believes in a god or jesus or the holy spirit The idea of a ghost in a church is something people can get behind because it seems like it's the appropriate place for one. And ever since youth group, we have told stories of ghosts in churches. No matter how old or new the church is, there is a ghost in there that's that's the requirement. Yeah, and historically, churches have always been places associated with ghosts, basically because churches have been associated with uh, graveyards, right? Um, and I believe that the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery is where there's a church attached to it. So cemeteries don't have churches attached to them and graveyards do. Um, so the spooky graveyard in the back of a church, of course, has been there since, you know, the Middle Ages. And to make things spookier still, back in the day, they didn't bury bodies very deeply in the soil. So it was very normal for bones to start sticking out of the ground and stuff. So if you were in a church graveyard walking along, um, it was entirely possible that Uncle Harold's bones would start to stick out. And that was that was you that the person who was running the church should, you know, get the groundskeeper to dig up that grave and put those bones into a charnel house, which was often also on church grounds, right? Like there'd be these buildings full of skulls and bones of, of um, bones that had been dug up out of the uh, ground because they recycled the grave spots. So, you know, all of those uh, sort of Halloween tropes about the scary graveyard next to the church, all that stuff's based in history. Like, that really happened. So it's not that surprising that people would associate the unhappy undead with church grounds. It, it makes total sense. And shoot, if your only experience of going to church is for weddings or funerals, and you really only see churches when you are burying someone, you're going to associate churches with dying and death and dead people. And this makes total sense. And because of that, even back in the 1920s, as the church was being formed, we had ghost stories coming from churches that have been around for 
quite some time from across the country, from across like rural centers, urban centers. We have ghost stories from summer camps that I seriously thought about putting in this episode, but there's only so many United Church summer camps and I want kids to go to summer camp. So you'll have to (laughs) learn those stories at the summer camp as a child. Off you go. But we do have some stories that sort of cover the gambit of what you might find for a United Church ghost story. And if you've never associated the United Church and ghost stories, you always thought that was like the Catholic Church thing or like we don't do ghosts. We do have some fantastic ghost stories. Now, in the interest of journalistic integrity, and because I doubt I will ever get this chance again, I contacted the National Office of the UCC to ask Jennifer Jansen Ball, the Executive Minister for Theological Leadership, if we as a church have a theological stance on ghosts. After she was assured this wasn't a prank, but it was definitely the weirdest question she's received in months, she wrote back this quote for us. And I quote, In terms of a particular theological stance on ghosts, the United Church doesn't have one. However, the United Church recognizes the importance of saints, of the cloud of witnesses and ancestors who have gone before us and still surround us. We also affirm that there is much beyond our knowing, expressed most poetically in a song of faith. So in those ways, one could say that the United Church recognizes that there is more than the physical world, that we recognize the power and presence of ancestors in the faith. I do realize that many people have lived experiences of ghosts and loved ones who have appeared to them, sometimes randomly and sometimes in a time of need, end quote. So I'm willing to take that as a blessing to dive forward in our exploration of church ghosts as we go on. Okay, so let's hear one. Um, I, I guess the weird thing about ghost stories is, you know, ghosts don't tell you that they're there in an unambiguous way usually right there's some mystery some some you know they're kind of vague um do you have a ghost story uh from a church where people aren't quite sure it's a ghost or they're not quite sure how that ghost came to be there absolutely let's go to a small community in southern ontario So this church is one where the community was built around it. The building was constructed in the mid-1800s as one of the original Methodist congregations. According to community lore, while decorating the ceiling of the church, one of the builders fell off the scaffolding, and unfortunately he died upon impact. While there are a few records from this time, historians have said that not all deaths would have been reported at this point in Canadian history anyway, especially as church records were still one of the most reliable ways to determine someone's birth and death, and, well, the church was still being built. And apparently the builder's spirit never really left the church after all. So the congregation now knows about this history, right? Like, do they know about the worker who was killed? According to one of the witnesses, she reported as late as 2013 that there have been instances of doors opening and closing on their own or of footsteps on the upper levels of the building, which were expanded upon, so now they're walking near where the ceiling is, and even flowers appearing without explanation, possibly because this person did love flowers. That's one of the reasons he was on the ceiling. He was painting those into the artwork. The interviewee explained that even there's a name and a moniker for this ghost. 
It came from a student who was in the building one night and saw a man wearing a hat and suit that appeared to be from around the 19th century. He said the name just popped into his head and we've been calling him that moniker, uh, we'll call him Harold for this story, ever since. Other people have also seen a man walking around the building at night in this similar outfit and keep in mind this is well into the 21st century, way past the bowler hat era. <laughs> well, and I guess, I mean, particularly once you know that something tragic has happened in the church, then all manner of unexplained phenomena can be pegged onto that, you know, onto that poor fellow who fell from the scaffolding, right? A hundred percent. This is part of church lore is every bit of church history is all tied together. It's never just one instance. It's that meeting back in 1935 that impacts everything right up through 2022. Yeah. And I guess the thing about ghosts is that, like, you know, if someone dies in the war, um, World War One, World War Two, name a war, um, they don't tend to get ghost stories because ghost stories are linked to the place of death, right? And yeah. it's usually a wrongful death, right? It's a death mm -hmm. that should not have happened. You don't get ghost, ghost stories from people who die of natural causes. Um, it's usually the murder or the drowning or, you know, the tragic accident in this case, right? And, and I would imagine that that, you know, shapes church culture, right? If the very first thing that happens at a church is a tragic death, that kind of sends a shudder through the church community, which, you know, isn't going to go away easily. It, it really does, especially when you know that that's part of, like, it's literally built into the bedrock. Every time you stare up at that ceiling, yeah, it's a beautiful ceiling, mm -hmm. excellent work. And you're going to think of the person who literally died putting it together. And it's going to impact your feelings about the space. Which is interesting because sometimes when we do encounter these ghost stories, there is no death that it could be tied to. It's just simply there. And do you have any stories that are like that where people have, they've felt the weirdness, but they have no idea why the weirdness is happening? They, I have one from Alberta. We are going to go straight to the west. church was built in 1912 and most reports of ghosts in the church indicate that they're actually pretty friendly that they're considered like the old church ladies just sitting there knitting which to me like it, it gives me the image of going into my church and seeing these lovely church ladies that have just loved knitting and gossiping and taking care of the community so much that they never really left so they have a little bit of sass because they have reports of a ghost who will slap the organist on the back of the head if the church organ is not played well enough, apparently. They are very good critics on the church organ. And voices have been reported near the organ telling uh, the organist to stop playing if the, apparently the critics have decided enough is enough. I don't want to hear this new stuff anymore. And there's reported hauntings, including the usual noises and camera tech malfunctioning. And it's interesting because these ghosts are not considered disruptive or angry or upset. They've just been here longer than everyone else. They're not going anywhere. And they don't want to hear this newfangled, more voices, draw the circle wide stuff. They want to hear <laughs> how great thou art again. So 
do it again. It's <laughs> as if churches don't have enough trouble introducing new music. Now we have to contend with ghosts. <laughs> we have an agreement, okay, that once you have passed on, we are allowed to try new music. We will wait until you go, but we're gonna try new music. And apparently, these lovely ladies have decided no. We like it. We're good here. We're going to stick around. And if you're playing that organ out of tune one more time, you will get slapped upside the head. So if you are in Alberta and your organist suddenly gets a little bit of a headache, you might want to tell them that it's time to tune the organ because it's probably those lovely ladies. Now, has anybody seen these lovely ladies? Have there been any spectral occurrences of the ladies knitting in the corner? Apparently not. It sounds like they're going off of some of the best of assumptions, sort of like our first story where they're trying to put two and two together, that there really mm. hasn't been a death at the church. There's nothing specifically tragic that they can tie this all to, but they're able to say that, you know, these ladies that have loved the church, they died, you know, 20 years ago, and they're still hearing voices that sound sort of like them. It sounds also like that they were the impromptu worship committee giving feedback back in the day as well. So this was very on brand for them, if you will, to just continue giving that feedback well afterwards, because your job is never done when you're a part of a church committee. In life and death and life beyond death, you are here to give feedback. <laughs> I think that makes it particularly um, challenging for music directors. You know, who's going to want to take a job as an organist at a church where you may get slapped upside of the head by a ghost? <laughs> at the very least, if this, and that's the thing, I was looking for stories about, you know, when they were really friendly, when they made the organist feel really proud and happy. And I could not find a whole lot that said, you know, they applauded at the end of something really good. But I, I think it sort of goes with that classic, everyone will tell you when something's good, but they will tell you honestly what's going on. I don't know how accurate that is, because I'm also not an organist. But I do know that this seems to be a trend. This is not the only church I know of where there's uh, apparently ghosts or spirits that get very attached to the organ and will give feedback on whoever's playing the organ. Uh, a famous one is actually with Met United in Toronto, and they that's just very public, that there was a music director who died there decades ago that will come back and tell its current organist if something is not correct. And I trust his opinion a little bit better because he actually played the organ when it was still around, but it seems to be a very common thing to associate the organ with ghosts Again, if your only experience of the church is going during funerals and you only hear the organ during funerals, you're going to tie the organ and death and ghosts together just instinctively. So this makes complete and total sense. Yeah, there's a kind of fandom of the opera feel to that too, right? Exactly. Like, well, the big gothic sound of the organ seems to be perfect for ghost music. Um, yes. Yeah, it's funny because you don't hear ghost stories particularly about preachers, right? But um, uh, oh. organs, it does make sense. This is because preachers are done at that point. We don't want to do this anymore once we have decided our time is up on this earthly plane. And so very few of us actually come back to haunt the place because we've been at it for decades and we're tired. And so if you see a ghost in the pulpit, it's probably not the preacher. But if you see an organist, 
they seem to still like it a lot. So ask your organist if they're planning to haunt the organ once they go. That is what you can do today to your friendly organist on Sunday. Now, I believe that uh, one of your ghost stories is about a church that, unbeknownst to either one of us, we had both visited. Um, in uh, Napanee, Ontario, there is this lovely spot called Hay Bay, and on Hay Bay there's this beautiful tiny little church. I mean, it looks sort of chapel size. Um, yes. And it was built, I think, in the 19th century. It's like, you know, it's classic wooden one-room churches. Um, and I, I remember stopping by there just because uh, friends have a cottage nearby and I was staying there and I was riding by and I went, ooh, a church, I should check it out. So I stopped by and got a little tour of the place. Beautiful, yes, you know, maybe room for 50 people, maybe. Um, narrow little church, pews on both sides, and then a raised pulpit at the front. Very, very Methodist or um, mm -hmm. very Protestant anyway. Like there's no symbols anywhere. There's just the word of God is the only thing that really matters, right? Um, and, uh, and I did sign the guest book, and I gather you went to that church later on as well. Uh, apparently, I went in just after you, like a few weeks after you. We were coming back from a trip to Gananoque, and we stopped by this church because it was uh, one of the churches that my very first minister, the one who baptized me, he talked about being in this area, and that was part of his community as well. So we went in and it's a beautiful building. And it's one of the reasons that we're public about it because it's first of all, the first Methodist church in Canada. It was built in 1792 and it uh, was decommissioned, uh, I believe in the late 1800s. And it, because it's Methodist, it ended up in United Church of Canada care ever since. So there's not an active congregation there. You do have guest preachers come by sometimes you do have weddings. If you want to do a wedding there, you can do that. And it's a tourist site. So it's very public about this. And that's why we have no problem saying Old Hay Bay Church near Greater Napanee, 229 years old. However, it also is a source of some pretty tragic history. According to the, Bay, uh, the Bellevue Intelligencer, in August 29th, 1819, the Hay Bay was the site of a horrific vessel capsizing where 18 Methodists, many of them children, 10 of whom drowned in front of the Methodist congregation. They were trying to come either to the church or from the church for a regular Sunday celebration, and it capsized. And because it's 1819, everyone's wearing these huge uh, bulky clothes, even though it's August. Not everyone can swim very well, and people did go out to try to rescue them but you ended up losing 10 uh, youths. Almost all of them were teenagers. They were buried just on the other side of the road of the church. So as you leave the church, you'll find that there's these wooden crosses everywhere. Those, the majority of those are the 10 teenagers who drowned there. And the stories around it are pretty horrific. The full, like, there's a news clipping from August 31st from the UC Herald called On Sunday morning last, about 8 o'clock, eight, as 18 young persons were crossing Hay Bay from the 4th to the 3rd concession in Adolphus Town for the purpose of attending divine service there in a small leaky boat 
when within about 300 yards of the shore, the boat filled and precipitated all them into the waterly element. Eight escaped, the other 10 sunk to never rise again. And it lists all of their names and who they were. It was very, very traumatic for the entire town as well. This is a small community at this point. That's awful, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the flower of the community, right? If you lose a, a bunch of teenagers like that. Um, and, you know, they're critical on all sorts of levels. I mean, as people, obviously, um, as youth, but also as the people who are going to inherit the family farm, you know, like they're, they're the hope of, that, of those generations, right? So to end that way is awful, especially in front of a church, going to church. Yikes. Exactly. On so many like, levels. We, we've seen this with mass tragedies in Canada throughout the centuries as well. Whenever there's a, we've seen this with bus crashes or car crashes when multiple teenagers die. We've seen this when ferries crash, when airlines crash, when there's just tragic accidents that for all intents and purposes cannot be prevented. And so the entire community is dealing with this. They are taking care of themselves to the best of their ability the rest of the church is taking care of them to the best of their ability. And time goes on. And eventually the church gets decommissioned. It gets sent into United Church uh, historical care. And it looks like everyone has sort of moved forward from it. But apparently not everyone. Because according to a number of people, indeed, the place is haunted. Previous custodians, according to the Intelligencer again, have had various experiences of things of curiosity. I heard of an account where there's someone painting the fence across the road in the cemetery and feeling like somebody was peering at them, watching at what they were doing to hearing footsteps in the church and hearing knocking. And it's the usual uh, haunting stuff, but if anyone is interested, they can find out more about Old Hay Bay Church because the Phantoms of Yore did a TV episode for this for APTN back in 2019. And they did all this as part of a fundraising event where you had some church restoration that needed to happen. So they offered people the chance to come and do some paranormal investigation at the church and pay for it. And they fundraised about $100,000 just from this, wow. which hmm. says a lot. You had people come in on the Friday and Saturday night. They raised money by encouraging people to come explore the church during the dead of night. They brought their paranormal equipment as well, their little EMF readers to see if there's electromagnetic frequencies, which may or may not be real. But the idea that if there is a ghost, the reader goes off. They brought their infrared cameras. They brought their microphones and placed them throughout the building. And the episode itself is actually pretty interesting. You have to find it on YouTube and not maybe by the most legitimate means, but it gives an opportunity to see what these churches, when they're doing investigation, what these churches do look like. It ends up being a really fascinating episode about a community that has dealt with this tragedy for so many years, for almost 200 years. And is also trying to reconcile with how they move forward from that and seeing us grow from it. So it's a fascinating episode if anyone wants to see it. You do get to like hear the floorboards being walked on and you see like doors open and close on their own. And there will be some that say it's fake and you're allowed to say it's fake. 
but for those of us, we may believe. Yeah, if nothing else, if you're in that area, uh, which is just a little bit east of Picton, um, it's a beautiful little church, and it uh, makes for a lovely bike ride as well. There's all sorts of farmer's fields nearby, and there's a lovely view of the water, Hay Bay. Um, and um, in the summer, there are uh, sort of curators who will um, who stay in the building next door and will give you a tour of the place um, on sort of during the day on a lot of the days of the summer. This is one of the things that we have noticed from a lot of church buildings as well, that the United Church is not the only one to have buildings closed. There are Baptist churches and Anglican churches and Presbyterians and yada yada. But as they are closed, in order to preserve their historical uh, status, in order to be better conserved, a lot of them are being opened up as tourist sites. And yes, some of them you can go in and just see the historical aspect of it. And a lot of them are being opened up for ghost tours and a chance for people to see history come alive, da, da, da. It's a really interesting part of national tourism and heritage that I think we'd have to explore in a different episode. But just the idea of so many people willing to open up their buildings for people to decide if there's ghosts in there or not and to get that little bit of thrill. It's a very fascinating thing and one that they one that we end up seeing a lot, especially in rural Ontario and in the Maritimes. But if you are going to do that, please, for the love of all things good, see if you could contact the church first and be polite about it, because there have been instances of paranormal investigators going in and trying to see if there's ghosts there, but it's still an active church. There are still people there, and they're still trying to go on with their day. So this is the reminder for everyone. Double check before you go. Just because you want to see some ghosts doesn't mean we want to upset the living humans as well. And so I think you said that you have one more uh, place that has this kind of haunted by ghosts. And it's also a place that you and I both went to since we both went to seminary there. And that's Emmanuel College here in Toronto. Yes, this is the story that I was told the very first day of orientation at Victoria College, which is attached to uh, U of T and Emmanuel and Victoria are, are part of the same group, uh, part of the same school. So we ended up doing a ghost tour and there's the usual U of T ghosts and we hear about them. And then my tour guide takes us into the Emmanuel College library. No, we should... We should explain, before you talk about the story, we should give people a, an idea of what Emmanuel College Library looks like. The easiest way to imagine Emmanuel College Library is to imagine Hogwarts, okay? Like, it looks like Hogwarts. If, if they ever needed to, you know, a pickup set to film something about Hogwarts, Emmanuel College is perfect. It's, um, it's gothic. Uh, it's got this lovely stone with beautiful wood. It's about two stories high with an upper balcony full of, you know, books and stuff like that. But it looks like Hogwarts. So with that in mind, please tell us a ghost story. Absolutely. There's the beautiful ironwork there. There's chandeliers everywhere. Like, it, I spent years, even in undergrad, studying there. The story goes that back in the 1930s, there, this was just as Emmanuel College was growing into being a United Church of Canada seminary, relatively new for its time, and apparently there was a professor there who, we, this is when we have to admit that in the United Church of Canada, we did not have the best 
history with all groups, especially in the 1910s, 20s, and 30s, there was a distinctly large amount of anti-Semitism going on. And there are articles that we have ranging even up to the 1970s where the anti-Semitism is fairly blatant to us nowadays. It would not be a dog whistle more than a train whistle, if we will. But there was apparently one professor who was a little bit more interested in Germany than the others, and he died in his office. What they found in his office was that he was drinking tea, and they found letters that were addressed to uh, officials in Germany written in German. And while we didn't get all the details, if you were writing letters in the late 1930s in Germany, in German to Germany, it's most likely not very good. So we're dealing with a ghost that probably isn't the nicest person around. And because of that, there are instances that we hear from Emanuel students. Even when I was working in Emanuel Library, I would hear people say, you know, lights are turning on that shouldn't be turned on, or you're hearing things that you shouldn't be hearing, people walking up and down the stairs when there's no one in the library floor on the second floor. You would hear books being, like, picked and flung off shelves sometimes, which was really, really bleeping weird and scary. And that's why I'm not working there as a library page at 10 o'clock at night anymore, because I'm not doing that. And here, here's the kicker from all of this. That story is 100% fake. I researched the entire thing for this episode. I researched professors that died at Emanuel. I researched anti-Semitic professors. I researched German espionage. I researched everything. There is not one historical record of any professor who died at Emanuel College, ever. And so I was thoroughly lied to in my orientation. But this leaves a problem. I still hear the floorboards. I still hear the books being opened. I still see the lights being turned on and off even though there is no, like, there's no discernible ghost. Therefore, my personal theory is that we do have some people at Emanuel that are enjoying their time at Emanuel Library a bit too much. And now I need to go be super mad at this orientation tour guide who gave us this fantastic story, and it's not true. And what's even more frustrating is that there are elements that are true. Like, there are articles written by United Church leaders, by United Church professors and ministers that are anti-Semitic. That that was a thing that we've been reckoning with since the 20s and 30s. Like, we have ghost stories surrounding universities all the time. There are ghost tours that you can go on around U of T and hear the actual U of T ghost stories that are not just from some drama student from 2009 trying to amuse a bunch of first years. And I think this ties in all of the ghost stories that we hear today is that whether they are true or not, it's entirely possible that these are all just things that we think about and like with the power of association or with our imaginations going wild in the middle of the night or someone pulling a Scooby-Doo and it's just trip wires and funky masks. But these ghost stories all get to the heart of some part of the human condition that we don't know how to reconcile with death often. And we don't know how to reconcile with the fact that people are gone. And sometimes we wish them to not be gone 
so much that we bring them back ourselves. It also speaks to the question of tragic death, right, and wrongful death. Mm -hmm. um, ghosts are generally not uh, created by people who had a nice life, died in their sleep, were happy about it, right? Like that's not what generates ghost stories. It's usually, you know, the worker who falls to his death in a church or, you know, someone who drowns offshore like an old hay bay, right? Um, and I think, you know, it's funny, when you were describing the original rationale of this ghost story about, you know, a professor late at night writing letters in German um, to Germany in the late 1930s, my first thought was not Nazis, but just German theologians, because in the <laughs> 1930s, the world's greatest theologians were Germans, like hands down. They were, that's where you went yes. to study theology. It just was. And that continued in the decades afterwards, right? So there's nothing unusual about a theologian writing in German to Germany at that time. That's actually just like, says something about their academic qualifications, which is actually good. Um, I mean, even today, in order to be an academic in theology, you really need to study German because so much of the research is still in German. So yeah. this is, you're right, this is absolutely nothing new. And if you were not a seminarian, if you're not a theologian, then your thoughts would probably go to German theologians instead of Nazi espionage, which immediately we all went to because we are first years that loved a little bit of drama. Yeah, and, and so that's interesting that if someone is going to project a wrongful death into a college, then German 1930s equals Nazi equals, you know, dying, drinking tea equals ghost, right? Um, you know, so it's, it almost kind of proves the case that um, there's something, you know, in our, in our mind, of course, the Nazis are one of the explicit embodiments of evil the way it's been expressed in the 20th century so it makes sense that a nazi ghost right you know exactly. of course that would make sense um but that just sort of speaks to the fact that when things go bump in the night we like to imagine that it's from something evil or tragic right um our, our imagination fills in the blanks it is part of the human condition and i think it's one that will never go away as long as we are grappling with what goes bump in the night as long as we are grappling with how to figure out what's on the other side of life and death and life beyond death we are always going to be thinking that what goes bump in the night is something that is not quite done with being here and now with us okay well that seems like a good place to end this thank you roberta thanks for doing all that research into these ghost stories oh. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was so much fun. And the fun thing is uh, I put this on the Facebook groups that I'm in and said, hey, have you guys ever seen a ghost? And I was flooded with people being like, yeah, I've totally seen ghosts in my building. Absolutely. If you want, I will tell you the ghost story. And so this could be like a seven part series of everyone just seeing their ghost stories. No, oh, maybe this could become an annual hot Halloween series. Ghost stories in churches and elsewhere. The Rooster Crows podcast is a production from Lawrence Park Community Church here in Toronto. Special thanks to Jennifer Jansen-Ball from the UCC National Office, to all of our churches and communities featured here today, and to Stephen for letting me run with this very spooky idea. For more information about Lawrence Park Community Church, including upcoming events or other podcast episodes, see our website at lawrenceparkchurch.ca. The Rooster Crows is co-hosted by Reverend Stephen Milton and Reverend Roberta Howie, and this episode was researched and produced by me, Roberta Howie. Until next time, 
Take care and happy Halloween.